And uh, we're going to look at two verses in Galatians. You can go ahead and turn that on, Mike, and shut those lights off. <coughs> Wanted to uh, bring you some things about this time of year that we celebrate as the Lord's birth. <coughs> and uh, probably the main reason for that is I just am not ready yet in my heart to uh, teach this next commandment. Uh, the, the next one we're going to be looking at is where the Lord commands us, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Not a suggestion, uh, but a command. And uh, I want to take some time on studying that. <clears throat> In Galatians chapter 2, I'm so thankful in the Bible that in Peter it says, put them in remembrance, put them in remembrance, which means uh, you can teach and preach a message more than once. Nobody found that funny? <laughs> nothing. And Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. So repeating of things that you've heard before and much of this you've heard before, uh, but it's... Uh, good stuff because of what the Bible says and not what I say. Galatians 4 and verse 4, we find the Christmas story in two verses. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And so we find here events mentioned in five segments that really surround the Christmas story. The fullness of time, that God sent forth his son, a babe born in Bethlehem, but existed in eternity made of a woman, no biological father, made under the law, and to redeem them that are under the law. So the first thing I want to look at <coughs> is the fullness of time, and then we'll note these others as we go along. The Christmas story in two verses, when the fullest time was come. And so I want to look at what is that talking about? What brought about this saying it was the fullness of time? The time has come. But when the fullest time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. Would it be better? Can you guys see it all with me here? Would it be better if I got in the middle? Or the piano? Or would it be better if I got over there? Okay. Spiritually, the world 
in the coming of Christ was dark. Maybe one of the darkest times of history. If you look with me in Romans chapter 1, it describes the time close to Christ's time, the first century. And it says, beginning in verse 24 of Romans 1, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. Well, let's back up here. Um, verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, and we were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness to the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections, for even the women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, receiving themselves the recompense of their error which was met. And yet last week, our nation voted to uh, make marriage between same-sex individuals legal. And even as they do not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness and fornication and wickedness and covetousness and maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, conceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And so it's a dark time. We're living in a, a dark time even today. If you drop back to Matthew chapter 4, it describes the darkness in Israel. In Matthew 4 and verse 16, talking about northern Israel, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. And when Christ came, it was said, <coughs> the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region of the shadow of death, light is sprung up. And so it seems as though when Jesus came that the, the need of men, the wickedness of men, the darkness that prevailed in the lives and the minds of people were, were at its height. Glory to God in the highest. The, the light of the world has come. And so when we, when we talk about the fullness of time, that includes that, 
it includes that God knew the exact time that the Lord should come. Not only spiritually, but historically the world was prepared for Christ's coming. This uh, bust of the person there is Caesar Augustus. It was Caesar Augustus of Rome that brought to the world at that point in time what was called the Pax Romana, peace throughout the world. Rome ruled. They ruled justly. If the sword had to come down, it came down thoroughly. And so the world feared Rome. It feared, it, it, the, when Caesar came, he brought, enforced peace uh, to the world. And the Roman Empire was much used by God to, to uh, bring about preparation for Christ's coming and the church beginning. There we find some soldiers. They were well trained. They were well armored. Those shields were used in a very effective way to all of them get together and move and, and uh, knock back spears or arrows. They had a very well-developed road system. You see, um, you see there the pavers that they put on top, and you can see the crown on the road. You see a ditch here. <coughs> you see that they put in a good foundation for the road, layers of pebbles and gravel. They dug down deep. The foundation was solid down underneath here. And uh, the reason for that if there was an uprising in Britain, Rome wanted to be able to send soldiers there as quick as possible. But you know what? It also made a way <laughs> for, for people who were peddlers to go there as quick as possible. And it's going to make a way for men who want to spread the gospel to go there as quick as possible. We should, and there's, there's, a, there's places in the world today where they can still find these roads and they're still intact. And we need to really thank the Lord for how he prepared and used Rome or the gospel would, would have got very, very late into Britain. John the Baptist, not, not, uh, uh, not John the Baptist, but um, St. Patrick was not a Catholic. And St. Patrick was used in England. Claudia, uh, I don't know if you, a number of years ago we had a preacher here that came and lectured on some history, but uh, Claudia uh, was from uh, England, or from Britannica, and uh, married into Rome, and was, and was a Christian. And so the road system was prepared and travel was 
very rapid, more rapid than what it was. The sea travel was, uh, was changed too. A lot of piracy upon the sea. And a lot of piracy, you know, if you, if you uh, look at some of the, the history of the Celts, the Celtic people and uh, different people that were in Britannica, uh, it, that was kind of the type of around throughout uh, what the Romans eventually conquered. But they were constantly battling each other, fighting each other. And when Rome came, they, they, they got rid of that. The tribal warfare ceased to exist. And they built this great network of roads and bridges and uh, moved the armies around the world. And the sea also had a lot of pirates upon it. And so Rome protected its citizens from robbers and rioting, and commerce is going to spread throughout the empire. Businessmen, uh, many of them, were Jews. And there were synagogues established in many of those places. And when Paul went to those places, he went to the synagogues first. There was already a place where he could go and speak, and he took the gospel to those areas. Not only was what Rome played in that way important, and the synagogues that were spread throughout the empire, but also linguistically the world was prepared. But before Rome took over, more of the control of the world and the influence of the world. It was Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire and the Greek language through Alexander, uh, and I mean the Greek society, began to spread throughout all of the known world, the Roman Empire. Uh, <coughs> something called the Koine Greek, which was different from classical Greek, was a common language. It was a trade language. It was a language that almost every region of the Roman Empire knew. And so when they went, when, when from Jerusalem, the command is given to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, they were able to go into areas that knew already a language that they could communicate with. <coughs> they didn't have to go there and spend years learning the language because there were some there that knew the language. And what was miraculous about this also is that the New Testament was written in this language, the Greek language. And there's something very unique about the Greek language, and that is it's very definitive, it's very specific, it's very clear to understand, and it was, it was uh, to some people's opinion, and, and I'm not going to argue with that opinion, it's the greatest language that the, Greek, that the New Testament could be written in. Very specific, there can't be a misunderstanding about what it means. And so the Bible came out the New Testament Bible came out of uh, 
the background of the Koine Greek being what it was translated into. <coughs> you see, the world was being prepared for something. Access to the world had opened up. Safety had come about. Travel was not a, a dangerous thing to do. And uh, the Lord said in the fullness of time, Bib Biblion, Bible, Cardia, Cardiac, Cardia, Heart, Anthropos, Anthropology, the study of man. So I impressed you, right? We'll go on. Prophetically, it was a fullness of time. Daniel said, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, and the street shall be built up again, and the wall even in troublous times. And these weeks were weeks of years. And you can study that out for yourself, but uh, I forget the book that is mainly shown in, but when Jesus came in to Jerusalem and his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, it fulfilled this prophecy down to the exact day. So, when it says here, the fullness of time, that God brought forth, when the fullness of time had come, God brought forth his son, made of a woman. That God had, <clears throat> this wasn't some Jewish guy that's trying to impress people, but it was God himself who had prepared the way for the coming of Jesus Christ when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Okay, Galatians 4 and 4, our second phrase. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, What is that about? Well, when you see that, and we know that it's talking about the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, we understand that he who came existed prior. Isaiah says, for unto us a child is born, birth in Bethlehem. And unto us a son is given. A son already in existence was given with a child being born. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This child that's born 
is called the Everlasting Father. This child was born is called uh, the Mighty God. God sent forth his son. A child born and a son given, as we just read in Isaiah. The fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman. And we talked about that a lot last Wednesday. But let's read two verses, two passages in the Bible, <coughs> excuse me, that deal with this made of a woman. In Matthew chapter 1, in verse 18, maybe I got it up here. I want to read a little more than what's there. Now, when the birth of Jesus, beginning in verse 18 in Matthew chapter 1, now the birth of Jesus on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while she thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And so you'll find here that Joseph had no part in the lineage of David or the heritage of David or in him being the offspring, I mean, not David, but Joseph, being the offspring of Joseph. Luke puts it this way, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph. When it says that he was espoused, that means that she was engaged. She wasn't. She was committed to a little bit different uh, ceremonies and a little bit different uh, customs in their uh, commitment to marriage, but they had not yet come together. And so, when Isaiah tells us that, therefore, the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That a woman who had no relationships with a man where the sperm of the man could be passed to the ovum of the woman took place. And so, why is that important? Well, you know, again, we're putting you in remembrance. First thing is that it's a sign that the child was definitely a miraculous child and was from God Himself. And the second reason, the most important reason, the virgin birth made it possible for a man to be born 
with a sinless nature. And uh, I really, I really uh, think that what I taught on Wednesday is uh, the answer to that, that no substance here in this world was used to form the body of Christ. It was ex nihilo. And so Martin Lord Jordan said, if you do not believe in the virgin birth, how do you account for his sinlessness? Are we not entitled to put it like this? If he had been born in the ordinary way of a father and a mother, then surely he would have been like every other person. He would have been in direct sequence, in a direct line from Adam, and therefore it would be true to say of him also, and Adam all died. And so there had to be a payment for sin that was perfect to escape the wrath of God. <clears throat> we needed one to pay for our sins. He had no sin himself. One man said this, if Jesus was not born of a virgin, then he was mistaken about his paternity. He constantly declared himself to be the son of God and declared that God was his father. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, then he was not the son of God, but merely the illegitimate child of a sinful relationship between a Jewish peasant girl and an unknown man. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, then Christ was not born of the seed of woman, but of the seed of man. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, <clears throat> then he cannot be the divine redeemer because the sacrifice for sin must be perfect. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, <clears throat> we have no savior. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, we're still in our sins. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, we, know, we have no hope after death. <coughs> Larry King, some of you know him, some of you don't. He's quite old now. But he used to have a radio show and a television show where he did lots of interviews. And one day, he was being interviewed himself uh, by David Letterman. And as Letterman was doing the interview, he asked Larry King, if you could interview any person from history, who would it be? And of course, Letterman, you know, is a big goof off. And King said, I'd interviewed Jesus Christ. And Letterman swallowed his tongue and didn't know what to say, looked stunned. It wasn't the answer expected. And finally, he got out a question, well, what would you ask him? And he said, I'd ask him if he really was born of a virgin, 
Because the answer to that question will define history. You see, it's not just a theological question. It's the key to everything in life. It's the key to everything that follows in, in our two verses that we're looking at this morning. Because if it wasn't born of a virgin, if he wasn't the sinless son of God, then we have no savior. We have no hope. <laughs> we have no way to escape this world and the judgment of God. So we learn two great lessons from the virgin birth. The first lesson we see is uh, man's unable to help himself. You can't save yourself. We need help from some other all our righteousness are filthy rags. It's only by grace that we're saved. And so the great victory comes into the life of a person who says, uh, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't be what you want me to be. And the Lord says, that's right, get out of the way and let me make you what you need to be. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And so it ought to remind us of uh, our inability, but it ought to remind us also of the love of God. Christmas story is one of love. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. But the Bible tells us that the Lord simply said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, let me tell you something that may shock you shouldn't, but it may. God doesn't need you. Never has, never will. God doesn't need us. God didn't need to save us. You understand that? There's nothing going to make God any smaller or any greater by saving us. But he loved us and he did. Glory to God in the highest and on peace, goodwill toward men. God <clears throat> commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. battery can't be wore out because we just put one in. 
two lessons. We just talked about those. And then the phrase made under the law. Jesus being born into this world, placed himself just in that birth underneath the law of God. He's an obligation to obey it. And he, like all of us, would uh, be judged by the law of God. But unlike all of us, he obeyed him. Second Corinthians 5 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Peter said, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to them that judgeth righteously. We know that the law of God was not made for us to follow, to be made right with God, because we can't do it. But the law of God pointed out our sin. And then the last phrase. To redeem them that are under the law, that we might be made, we might receive adoptions of sons, This is a picture of slavery, and though the slavery that took place in America and in the world in that time period is, does not really correspond to the slavery of the New Testament, it does correspond to the slavery of the soul in sin. And Christ came to redeem us, uh, to buy us out of the slave market of sin, and not only to redeem us, but to set us free from that bondage and to give us the, to give us the privilege of becoming bond slaves to him. Making him, you see there was a regulation in the Old Testament when a husband and wife, you know, when they, they, uh, not just a husband and wife, but when a slave was doing really indentured servitude to pay off a debt, and it came that that time was over, <coughs> and he said, and he says, you know, I don't want to go free. I want to stay here and serve my master, the one that had bought me out of the market, and although I've done my time and I've paid my debt, I want to stay there then they would go over to the doorpost of the master's house and they'd hold their ear up to the doorpost and, they'd, and they would drill a hole <laughs> in his ear. And so he'd have a hole in his ear. But that was a sign that I'm willingly, knowingly and lovingly serving my master because he, he has treated me better than I could ever be treated. And so there's a part about being born again 
that we shouldn't have to be encouraged to do right. We need to know what is right, but we shouldn't have to be drove, uh, driven along to obey the commandments of God. But we should do them because, uh, because we could serve no greater one. And so such a slave would always be, when he was in the presence of his master, always being looking for what could, he could do, looking for the sign from a master, or looking for, you know, whenever you, I, I've, I've told my sons growing up and, and uh, others, you know, you're not really any help on the job until you can see beforehand what the next step is, and you can go ahead and do it. When guys stand around and you have to say, okay, go do this and go do that, maybe the first couple of days, but eventually you ought to know what the next step is and you don't have to wait. Well, you know, he didn't tell me, the boss didn't tell me to do anything. Well, the boss is expecting you to know to do some things. Well, the Lord wants us to do what we, what we know we should be doing and do it with a heart of joy, and uh, the Christmas story is that God came into the world in the fullness of time to redeem us, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth a son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem men who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons and really, uh, there's a whole, there's a whole big message <laughs> on what adoption means. It's a, it, it's a wonderful to be adopted. Okay, not a lot of pep in me this morning, uh, but uh, we'll pound the pulpit in the next service. Pastor's here today. Uh, we're glad for that. Just don't get close to him. We don't want you to be sick. Okay. If you want to have a kind of a unique way to share the gospel at Christmas time, I'd encourage you to take one of these on the back there. Uh, it's a Christmas quiz. Uh, and how many reindeer did Santa Claus have? In the 12 days of Christmas, what came after eight maids of milking? But it gets down to the final answer. If Santa used God's Ten Commandments as a standard, would you be naughty or nice? And then a, another way of putting the good person question and uh, a, a good way to spread the gospel. Also, I don't have any back there. I gave them all the way to prison, but I... You've seen it in the past, but I have a little booklet I made about the Christmas story, uh, about, uh, about the nativity and the things surrounding the nativity. We had a prisoner come in the other night, and and uh, doesn't take long to, we, I knew this guy, maybe I was biased against him, but uh, some prisoners come in, and they really want to, show you how much they know. And uh, 
when I said, <laughs> when I said that Jesus didn't come to make us, you know, to show us how to be a better people. What? He didn't, you know, and, and so I had to talk to him about that a little bit. But I said, we said something like, uh, you know, the, the three wise men didn't come to the, to the um, nativity scene, didn't come to the uh, manger. They, they, they came to a house. He said, what? You know, like, you know, like, anyway, I gave him that, and, and, um, you will you see the you remember that when the wise men came they came to the house and he uh, he didn't know about the fact that we were saying there might not have been three <laughs> that kind of shook him up too but the deal is if he reads that he'll get a gospel message and hopefully hopefully he reads it he was he was one of the Fairbanks Five if you know the Fairbanks Five they got they're back in prison again at least one of them is. What goes around, it, sometimes in the prison, what goes around comes around, and they're right back where they started from. Yeah. All right. We're dismissed. <laughs>